So good to be with you here today. So good to see everyone. Uh, men, welcome back after your men's retreat last week. It's good to have you here, those who went. Um, I do want to just reiterate and, uh, uh, about the fundraiser for our youth. Really w- what came down to is, it, think of this alone. Uh, before In 2019, our cost to send students to camp, just the bus alone, cost us about $5,500 to send. So it, it's now 11000 um, crazy, right? Yeah, because there's 8% inflation. So let's look at that. So anyway, um, <laughs> so you can see that all of a sudden that becomes really difficult for families if they want to send their kids, especially if they have multiple students. So we love if you can say, hey, I want to participate in that. And here's the thing. You, you can grab an envelope and you don't even have to just get one. You can get more than one. Because if you get this one, you know, you want to add something to it. So no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it Honestly, this is, if this was the number you said, this is what I can do above and beyond, that's awesome. Because we believe God takes our gifts and he uses them. And uh, everyone has different capacity and he will use your faithfulness um, week after week for those of you faithfully support the ministry. Or for when you say, I want to do something extra, there's no pressure to be, a, you know, God is faithful with what we have. So we, we just thank you in advance for participating with that. All right, well, we are in a series here today. We are calling it Messy Faith. And if you've been around Seacoast, you know, we are actually doing a series through the book of John, verse by verse, but we're taking a little break for a few weeks to just pause and to look at this idea of faith. Now, here's the reason why. Because church is this unique thing that is led, it's an organization that's led by unfinished people who are leading unfinished people. So, What that means is that your church staff, those of us who've been trained in the ways of the Lord, who've gone off to seminary, got our master's degrees, we are still in process. We are unfinished people leading a group of unfinished people. That means that none of us have fully arrived and that faith can sometimes be messy. Would you agree? And what we mean by that is that you don't have to always have everything figured out and put together. And I know some of you are sitting out there, because I've heard the stories, and you sit there on a Sunday and you feel like everyone around me has their life together, except for me. I want to tell you this right now, that's not true. <laughs> we all are unfinished people in process. Now we have different struggles uh, and, and your struggle might not be mine and vice versa, but we're all in process, and that's what faith, this journey of faith looks like. So a few weeks ago, as we started this series of Messy Faith, we're answering the question that says, can I be a Christian if I struggle with, and we, and we have different topics. A couple weeks ago, we start off with anxiety and depression. Can I be a Christian if I'm struggling with these things? And the answer, by the way, is yes, <laughs> you can, and we want to give you freedom in that and see what does that look like? And then last week I said, can I be a Christian if I struggle with sin, this habitual kind of sin where I keep going back to, can I still be a Christian? The answer is yes, we're in process. This week we're looking at this question we're going to answer, can I be a Christian and struggle with doubt? Can I be a Christian if I struggle with doubt? What about if sometimes I just don't know what I believe, or I'm not sure I believe, or my beliefs sometimes come and go and 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 they're not always strong. My faith isn't always fully developed. What does that look like? Now, let me just bury, I'm not going to bury the lead. Here you go. Can I be a Christian if I struggle with doubt? The answer is yes. Okay, you can. 
And so today what we're going to look at is three different types of doubt I think that we struggle with from time to time, and then what does that look like? But let me tell you this. This subject brings up some tension when we read Scripture. It brings up tension because we have, for example, in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, anyone who lacks wisdom should ask God, and he will give it to you generously. But then in verse 6, it says, but then you have to have faith and do not doubt. For the one who doubts is like a wave being tossed around in the wind, or in the waves, in the wind. So he says, don't doubt. Jesus in Matthew 21 was uh, talking to his disciples, and he says, truly, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can do the things that I've done. You could tell this mountain to go throw itself in the sea, and it will do that if you don't have any doubt. We even have uh, in Luke chapter 24, this is after Jesus rose, and he was resurrected, and he appears to his disciples, and this is what he says, why are you frightened, and why are doubts arising in your heart? So we have throughout Scripture this tension that's presented because Jesus tells us, and, and, and the writers in the New Testament tell us that we want to have faith without doubt. But then at the same time, we see that doubt is a very real part of people's expression. The way Matthew described the resurrection in Matthew 28, verse 17, he actually says that when he rose, it said, they saw Jesus and worshipped him, though some were doubtful. So in the middle of their worship, they still had some doubt. He was in their presence. They were worshiping him, and they are going, wow, this is amazing. Is this, is this real what's going on right now? They had doubt. In the book of Jude, verse 22, we all have that memorized, right? <laughs> Jude is a book in the Bible, by the way. In verse 22 says this, have mercy on some who are doubting. Who are doubting. So we know that though Scripture teaches us that we want to have faith without doubts, it also says, hey, doubt is a part of normal, messy faith, and we are to have mercy and patience with those when they are doubting. So we have both sides of this in Scripture. We even have uh, one of Jesus' apostles or disciples named Thomas. Thomas has the nickname Doubting Thomas. How would you like that as your nickname? That's like, oh, here comes Sinner Ryan, you know, or one of those things. <laughs> this is Doubting Thomas is his nickname. That's what he's known as, and we'll look at a little bit of his story in a minute. But Thomas, the story tells us, actually after Scripture, the historians tell us that Thomas most likely went to India to bring the message of Jesus as far as India, and he was martyred for his faith. So here's the one who said that he's doubting Thomas. That's how we know him. That's his name. Yet he had such bold faith that he took it to India and even gave his life for his faith. Isn't that amazing? So the thing that we learn about faith and doubt is this, and I love the way Craig Rochelle said it, this, is faith is not a destination, it's a journey. See, if we think of faith as a destination and not a journey, then wherever you are at a certain point in faith, you think that is where you end. That's where you are. If you're struggling with doubt, oh, this must be what defines me. This is, this is my faith. It's feel, I don't have it because I'm doubting God right now. But the truth is, it's a journey. If Thomas, if he was a destination, it would be you are doubting Thomas and you have no faith. 
And we'd forget that his journey was one of ups and downs to the point where he was martyred for his faith. Bold faith. Faith greater than many of us will ever have. Now, when he was martyred, did he have moments where he was thinking, Lord, I hope I'm on the right track? Probably. But faith is not a destination. It's a journey. It's a process. And that's why we say faith can be messy. And it's okay in the mess. So that's today what we want to do is look at these different types of doubt and then how do we respond in each of those. And I'm, our prayer for you today is wherever you're at, if you relate to one or all three of these doubts, that today we pray that you'd find the grace of God to meet you in your moment of doubt. So would you pray with me as we start? God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that faith is not a destination. It's not a place that we arrive at. But it's a journey where we will grow and we'll test you and we'll have doubts and we'll grow a little more and expand our faith. And some are early in the journey. Some have been on that journey for a long time and faith is even greater. But God, the one in whom we have faith in, you don't change. So though we have, may have little faith or great faith, you never change. And we can count on you. And so we thank you for that. And this morning, I pray that you'd speak life into each one of us, everyone who needs it today. And we give you this time in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump around a little bit. Sometimes we do that when we're in topical. But I want to invite you to start off in John chapter 20 is where we're going to be. As we start off, and then from there, when we jump around, we'll put the verses on the screen for you. But the first thing we want to do is I want to jump right in. So different types of doubt. And actually, in, in the Greek New Testament, we have doubt used. There's three different words for doubt. One is kind of to waver, meaning you, you believe it, and then maybe you're not so sure. One is hesitate, is, is a doubt. And, and the other one is to dialogue or really to dispute or debate is another way that we use the word doubt. So there's those kind of three things. And we'll find ourselves in many of those. So as we jump in, the first thing is this. What's the first type of doubt that I want to address today? The first one is this, is doubt in God's existence. Kind of maybe the most obvious, right? And the question you are asking God in this case is, are you there? So, so this is maybe the most obvious doubt, right? This is where you get atheists or you get those who are agnostic or those who maybe are wavering in their faith and there's this question of, you ask God in this question, is, are you there or, or do you exist? And that, that might be kind of the lowest hanging fruit there. But again, here's the thing. This is not just for those who are not, who are, who, who are atheists. It's not just for those. You know, it's, it's funny, I've um, been working in ministry many, many years. I started off as a youth pastor throughout college, and I was a youth pastor for many years. I've been a lead pastor, discipleship pastor, been working in different roles in a church, but for my whole life, my whole adult life. And uh, youth ministry, you have Wednesday night program, you have a Sunday morning program, and then you attend your church. I've been at churches that had five services on the weekend. And so if you think of, I, I sometimes... I start to try to do the math, and I can't really, but how many worship services have I been to in my life? And then you go away to camp, and you have two or three a day, and so, and, and sometimes it's just like, we have to sing again. We're singing to start another, you know, and we have all of these worship things, and, and then giving talks and teaching. Thousands of thousands of them. 
And yet there's times when I'm out there ready to teach or I'm just in a service and I just think, what if this is wrong? What if God doesn't exist? How many weekends have I given up for this? And what if God isn't real? Now, I want to tell you, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe all of that. But those thoughts pop up sometimes. It's not just for those who say, I deny and reject God. This is just a real part of the process. And I think sometimes the enemy wants to use it, right, and create more doubt. And sometimes it's just natural to go, oh, man, is this real? God, are you there? In John chapter 20, I already alluded to the story, but this is the story of the disciple Thomas. In verse, and Jesus had the resurrection already happened, and Thomas did not see Jesus yet. He appeared to the other disciples, but Thomas wasn't in the room. So in verse 24 of chapter 20 of the book of John, says this, Thomas, one of the twelve, who was called Didymus. So Didymus is a Greek word that means twin. So he was a twin. So Thomas, his, he had a nickname Didymus. You can call him T. Diddy. Um, so, <laughs> so, so anyway, T. Diddy was not with them when Jesus came. But the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Un- unless I see his hands and the imprint of the nails, and unless I put my finger into the place of the nails, and unless I put my hand into his side where he was jabbed with a spear, I will not believe. That is called a, a good skeptic, isn't it? I need to not just see Jesus. I don't need to hear about him. I want to take my hand and jab it inside in his side where the spear was stuck. That is a bold statement. Jesus is so awesome. Because look in verse 27. Jesus appears to Thomas, not having heard that conversation, and this is what he says. Jesus said to Thomas, Hey, Thomas, (laughs) come here. Place your finger here. See my hand? Take your hand and put it into my side. (laughs) What did that look like? And do not continue in your disbelief, but be a believer. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you've seen me, now you believe. Blessed are those who see and yet have not, I mean, who, have, who believe and have not seen. In other words, Thomas, I gave you grace that you needed for the moment. The grace that you needed for the moment was to actually touch and feel and see and put your hand into my side. I love that. Actually, Jesus was meeting Thomas with what he actually needed, which is really kind of a gracious, cool thing to do and probably funny to the other disciples, like, oh, is he going to do it? (laughs) And then you can just guess. Peter's probably like, I want to stick my hand into there too and see what (laughs) it's like. But he meets him there. And said, okay, you've seen, now you believe, but there's many who will never get to see and touch and feel. And blessed are they who still believe, though they did not see. See, we find ourselves in those moments from time to time, and we live in a time when we are believing in fa- with faith. Now, I believe that faith isn't a blind faith. 
I believe that faith is a reasonable faith. It's something we search out and seek answers. God's not asking us to check our brains at the door and say, well, I guess I'll just believe. It doesn't make sense. No, this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. So faith is something we develop. We can, it can be thoughtful, logical. But there are times when at the end of the day, we have to just trust and God will meet us in that, those moments of unbelief. Look at how, what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. I have it on the screen for you. Paul writes, he says, Though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was, if you take notes in your Bible, I want you to underline this, was more than abundant with the faith and the love that are found in Jesus Christ. See, Paul says, I acted in unbelief. I didn't believe. I didn't know. When I heard about Jesus, I said, that can't be the Messiah. That can't, he can't be real. I don't believe. And, and so I acted out in that. And yet, the grace of the Lord was more than abundant. Friends, some of you today need to know and hear that the grace of the Lord is more than abundant than your unbelief. Then your lack of, then anytime you question God, he is big enough to handle it. He's got you. And his grace is more than abundant than your unbelief. So if you find yourself here in this place, asking that question, God, are you there? Let me just give you a few practical tips. Here's a few things that I think are practical. First one is this, pray for God to reveal himself. So just simple prayer that could be, God, would you reveal yourself to me? Pray it every day. And then be open to the answer. It might take time. I have a friend who was not a Christian, who was touring in a band, playing at large venues, that he was living that life, not following the Lord, and randomly people started coming up to him and say, hey, I just, I don't, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. Someone came up to him later and said, hey, I don't know who you are, but I just, I feel like God wants you to know that Jesus loves you. Finally, he was in a men's bathroom, and the guy standing next to him, fill in the blanks, said, hey, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you, bro. And right there in a men's urinal, he said, okay, I give up. I believe God's speaking to me somehow. He's a lead pastor now, by the way. It is awesome. So pray for God to reveal himself and then be open to the answers. He may show up in ways you're not expecting. The second thing is this. I, I, seek God with your personal bent. Now here's what I mean by that. Some of you are very intellectual and academic. It won't help you to deepen your faith by hanging out with a bunch of uh, touchy-feely, you know, emotional kind of way. You need to lean into the academic side of faith. And that's okay. If that's you, I encourage you to dive in. Read some good scholarship by smart Christians who've done the hard work for you. They've done the research. And then because you're academic, you're probably going to say, I don't know if I believe that. So you're going to search it out for yourself. But do that. God wants you to use your brain if that's who you are. Now, some of you, I could give you an apologetics book, and you'll look at that, and you'll be three sentences in and fall asleep. And you need that experience. You need to hang out with people who would just show you that Jesus is real. And that's okay too. 
So keep seeking the Lord, but know your personal bent and make sure you're going that way. Now, here's the other side of it. As you do that, know the other side of the argument. So I think especially for those of you who tend to be a little more academic, it's good to know the other side of the argument of faith. To say, why do people not believe? But let me give you a word of caution. Don't spend all your time in literature written by atheist philosophers. Be aware of the arguments. Read them. That's okay. But if you spend all of your time there, I know where you're going. I know what what the conclusion's going to be. We have this thing called confirmation bias, and our society is proving it every day. Your Amazon homepage proves it every day, right? We tend to see what we want to see. It happens on the faith side, too. But we want to know the other argument. But if you're trying to find out if God is real, seek people who have this intellectual, academic approach who've come to the conclusion that God is real and find out why. And, and spend time there. You know, I worked with youth for many years and then young adults and some of the young adults, so many in that college age kind of abandoned their faith. And so many of them would say to me, well, I'm just in a season of seeking And it's like, that's awesome. I think that's so healthy for your faith. And parents, don't be scared when that happens when your kids say that they, you know, are seeking. They want to have the faith for their own. That's part of the journey. But here's the thing. I've talked with a lot of young adults who say they're seeking. I go, that's great. How are you seeking? And you know what the most common answer was? Well, I'm just kind of taking a break. Taking a break from what? Well, from God, from church, from... So are you seeking or are you doing nothing? Which are you doing? And it's usually, well, I'm not doing anything. Well, that's not called seeking. That's called not doing anything. (laughs) So I think it's great to have a season of seeking, but make sure you're seeking, not doing nothing, okay? God will meet you in those moments. Okay, so the first thing question we ask is, God, are you there? What's the next doubt we see? It's doubt in God's character. You're asking this question, who are you? God, who are you? You believe that God exists, but you're wondering, well, who are you? Is, is Jesus real? Is it Allah? Is it someone else? Is it, are they all the same? Who is God? And you are doubting his character. You're saying, I'm not sure if I believe that you are who you say you are. Uh, In Mark chapter 9, there's a story of a dad who's going to Jesus. He's been hearing about Jesus' miraculous powers, heard that Jesus is the Messiah. He's healing people. He's bringing all this power. So he brings his son, who is demon-possessed. And he brings him to Jesus. And in verse 22 of chapter 9, he says, Here's my son, and he has a demon. The demon has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water trying to kill him. That's pretty extreme. But Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Verse 23, Jesus responds to him, if you can. Isn't that an interesting response? Jesus, if you can do anything. He's like, if you can? Who are you talking to right now? He says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And then in verse 24, here's the response of the dad. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, but get this, help my unbelief. I love that. 
That is one of the coolest prayers in all the Bible. It's, God, I do believe, I do believe who you are, Jesus. I read the stories, I believe it, but I kind of don't believe it. <laughs> Anyone ever there? It's like, yes, I know that you can do all things, but I don't, can you really do all things? I know I'm saved, but I, did you really save me? I believe, but help my unbelief trying to trust that you are who you say you are, but I need your help, because sometimes I don't. Sometimes I wander, and so help me in my unbelief. That is such a great prayer. So if you find yourself here asking the question, God, who are you? A couple, uh, a, a few just pointers, practical again. Pursue knowledge of God's character. If you're unsure who he is, the best way to find out is to study scriptures and find out who he is. And you might want to read stories of other Christians and how God has shown up in their lives or hear stories and go, oh, that's how you work. So keep pursuing knowledge of God's character. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, we're, we're told about this group of people um, we call the Bereans. They're from a town called Berea. Not Brea, but Berea. It's in ancient Greece. And they were commended for this. It said this, that they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, now get this, to find out whether these things were true. What I love is that they heard about the character of God and they dug in deep and examined the scriptures for themselves to find out if it was true. So if you're wondering who God is, keep pursuing that knowledge. Second thing is this. Get discipled by someone who's a little further down the road than you. One of the great things you can do is surround yourself with people who've already asked these questions and come to some conclusions. So if that's you, and maybe you're a Christian and you say, man, there's so much I don't know. We want to connect you and plug you into groups. We want to plug you in with someone else who might have some answers that you don't have. They're not going to have all the answers. Sometimes their answer is going to be, I don't know. And that's a really good answer because then you can go seek more knowledge together. But if you are struggling to believe and you say, I just need some help, enter into a discipleship relationship. Ask someone to walk with you in this journey. And then the last piece of advice for this middle category is this. Be okay living in the tension. Here's what I mean. You don't need everything in faith to be resolved. You are going to still have questions about God. I will guarantee that. The, when we read this, the scriptures, the ancient, to, to the Hebrew culture, they're reading the Hebrew uh, Bible, they're not worried about the tension and the things that don't make sense. They seek knowledge. It's a form of worship to try to figure it out. But they just said, a lot of times, like, man, we'll never get this figured out. God is so much greater than us. To the early Christian church, they had a lot of tension with the scriptures, and they didn't say, well, I guess I can't believe because this doesn't make sense. They would say, man, God is so huge and so amazing. His ways are not my ways. Sometimes I just don't get it. And you've got to be okay with the tension. If you don't have tension when you think about who God is, it's probably because you fit God into your box. And an infinite God will never fit into your finite mind. And so it's okay. Live in the tension. You don't have to defend God. You don't, if you have a friend who says, I'm not going to believe because this doesn't make sense. There's times I go like, yeah, I don't think that makes sense either. That's a hard one. I don't like that God did this or says this. I'm like, yeah, I don't either. But good thing I'm not God. 
because you'd be dead right now. (laughs) Be okay with the tension. Last one is this. So the first one is you are asking, God, are you there? Second one, you're asking, who are you? The third one, you're asking, what are you doing? And we're doubting God's faithfulness. We're living in that, pu- that place where we just say, I believe in you, I believe in your character, but sometimes I just wonder, what are you up to? Why is there evil and suffering in the world? Why do I have sickness that I can't get rid of? Why am I not being healed? Why are my family members not walking with you? Why can't I have kids? Why is my marriage struggling? Why are all my relationships falling apart? God, why do I pray day after day and read scriptures and yet I don't sense your presence? Where are you? What are you up to? I believe, I trust, but I just don't know. Where are you? What are you doing? This is, I think, that Greek word for doubt that has to do with wavering sometimes, and it's part of the process. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus, the disciples were out on a boat, and Jesus wasn't with them, so he wanted to catch up to them, so he walked on the water. And in the middle of the night, and they're like, oh, there's a ghost walking on the water, and Jesus says, no, it's just me walking on the water. Why didn't you believe that? And uh, so they saw that, and they were terrified, and Peter says this, Jesus, if that's really you walking on the water, tell me to walk on the water too, and I'll come out to you. This is actually bold faith. This is saying, I'm your disciple. If you can walk on water, so can I, right? I think Jesus got the biggest smile in the world, just like, this guy's getting it. This is amazing. And so Jesus says, great idea. Come on out. Walk on the water. Great idea. The other disciples in the boat pulled out their phones. They're filming. They're like, this is going to be funny. I'm totally posting this. <laughs> Peter gets out, and he starts walking on the water. Are you kidding me? And he starts walking, and then after a few steps, he notices what? That he's walking on the water. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, this is kind of weird. <laughs> and he sees the waves, and he starts to sink. And he calls out, Jesus, grab me. And Jesus, in verse 31 of Matthew 14, reaches out with his hand, takes hold of Peter, and says, you of little faith, why did, why did you doubt? Why did you waver? To which I just said, they're in the boat. At least I'm out here. You know, sometimes we believe and we trust, and then we say, oh, I don't know. We take a step of faith and we say, God, I know you're in this. And then we go, are you really in this? Are you really working? Are you really moving? If you find yourself in that situation, here's just a few things to think about. When you find yourself wavering, God, are you going to be faithful this time? Are you really going to show up? A couple things. One, reflect back on your life with gratitude. Just go back and say, How, when's, when have I seen you show up before? Reflect back with gratitude. And you'll start to build this bank of memories where you say, God, you've shown up time and time again. Which, by the way, this also works in a marriage when you're trying to build your marriage. You want to reflect back and say, man, we've built trust in one another that when I fail, the other person showed up for me. And that builds that bank so your, your marriage grows over time when you learn to trust each other. Oh, we've been down this road before and we always forgive and come back. 
So reflect back with gratitude. I was thinking of my wife and I. One of the things uh, that we've done our whole uh, marriage and also our Christian journey is we've um, invested in generosity. Now, I tell you that because not because I'm great at everything. I'm really bad at some personal disciplines in the faith. I am not a good prayer. I'm just not a good prayer. I'm trained and paid to pray, and yet I have to remember to pray. It's just not natural to me. Generosity has always been easier for my family. I don't know why. But we've had seasons where we've had to test God and and see if he would show up. We've had seasons where our kids were on a, a free and reduced lunch plan. We've gone through those seasons where we didn't have abundance, yet we were committed to remaining generous because that's something that's always been important to us. And we tested God. And you know, in those moments, we would say, did he show up? Yes, time and time again. Now, he didn't always show up with a big paycheck. Sometimes the abundance that we received was that we had what we needed for the moment. But we grew in that. And now we reflect back with gratitude. When we have those moments, we're like, can we still be generous? We can say, you know what? When has God not shown up in that area of our lives? So reflect back. Remember those times when he was faithful in whatever area. The other one is this. Sometimes maybe for you, you're in that, God, what are you doing? You just need to change your routine. You wake up every morning. Maybe you pray, you read. You're reading through the Bible, and you say, I just don't sense the presence of God. Let me challenge you. Sometimes you need to change your routine up. Do something different. Wake up earlier. Try it at the end of the day. Go sit at the beach. Don't, try, don't be so legalistic. Maybe you need to take a couple days off altogether. Not forever, by the way. <laughs> but change your routine. If you say, I just don't sense God's presence. I don't see him working and moving. Maybe you just need to take one book of the Bible and say, I'm just going to keep reading this one over and over and over again this year. That's it. I'm going to read Ephesians every week for this whole year. Let the word sink into you. Maybe it's just one psalm, whatever it is. Change your routine. And then the last thing is this. If you feel like, God, I don't know if you're working keep moving forward. In other words, just keep moving. Sometimes faith is stepping out when you say, I just, I don't know if God's moving. I don't know what this looks like, but I'm going to take another step and another step and another step, and I'm going to pray for my lost family members again and again, and I don't see him working, but you know what? I'm just going to keep moving, and I'm going to trust that one day he's going to break through in my life or in their lives or somehow. Because I really believe that God is there. He loves you. He cares for you. And he's waiting. And maybe we're not hearing. Maybe he's hiding in some ways. But he is going to break through. He wants to break through. That's who he is. He doesn't want to leave you where you are. So just keep taking those steps of faith. And it's not a fake it till you make it kind of thing. It's just that, God, I don't sense your presence, but I'm going to just, in faith, keep walking until I can hear you, see you, and accept what you're up to. Hebrews says this, the writer of Hebrews in 11.1 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith isn't always put all the way together. It's messy. 
But in, in time, you'll build a confidence in what you're hoping for. And guess what? It's assurance about what you don't see. God, I know that you show up time and again, and I'll trust you in that. And know this. I just want to leave you with this final quote from one author said this. A faith unquestioned and untested is no faith at all. So if you have moments of doubt, if you have moments of just struggling through things, a faith that's unquestioned and untested is no faith at all. We're not talking about blind faith. Test God. Question Him. Pursue Him. And see how He shows up. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to uh, sing one final song and just remind us of the nature of God and that He continues to move and work. And we're going to remind our hearts of this truth. And then we're going to end our service to pray over a couple staff members. So would you stand with me? And let's sing this song just in response to wherever you're at, where God, let's remind ourselves the truth about how he works in our lives.